You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Rivka Rivera. Rivka is an actor who I met through Art Girl Army, which is an online artist community I'm a part of. She was wonderful to talk to. I'm really glad I got a chance to get to know her. And I was especially excited to hear about her work with Irondale Theatre Company, which does a lot of social action work. And she worked in particular on a project called To Protect, Serve, and Understand, which uses improvisation exercises to build communication and empathy between NYPD officers and local community members. If you're enjoying the podcast, please go to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. It really helps other people to find the podcast. And I hope you enjoy the 101st episode of The Compass. episodes you probably know that I start by asking what do you do to keep from going to the dark side as an artist yeah which I love (laughs) um and I was because I did listen and I was like shit what do I I, it was I think if we get it out of the way at the beginning well I was so surprised by my reaction because when I was listening to myself I was like I don't believe in the dark place anymore which was so I was shocked to hear that but I think that led me into understanding my journey to that was I deal with the dark place because I really had to learn how to embrace it. Um, and what is it for you, just so people yeah. can understand where you're yeah, from? Yeah, I mean, it's... How do you define it? I define it as, and it's transformed, and it transforms daily, and that's how I've become, I've come to understand that about it. And that's part of my way of dealing with it, is sort of being okay with its malleability. Because in the past, it's been... It, it, you know, different colors, different emotions, anxiety, perfectionism. It's showed up in addiction for me. It's showed up in a severe eating disorder for me. It's showed up um, in, you know, (laughs) breakdowns in cars. It's showed up in really high, high emotion moments. It's showed up in joy. You know, it can show up anywhere, I think. This sort of, when I I think about what is that that dark space, but now it's present for me like every moment. And so I think that's sort of how I've learned to deal with it. Part of my journey, I guess, where I've gotten to is is confronting going through an eating disorder, which was huge for me because that got me into recovery, which has sort of transformed everything I've been about as an artist and just as a person, how I confront these things. So when I say not a dark place, I think it just means that I've learned, for me, the label doesn't hasn't helped me, you mm. know? That now it's sort of like my human place because I guess the way I've learned to confront it is really excavate and get in there and now I have to, yeah, you know, I shed light on it. And so anytime there's a dark place that comes up or a dark moment, I've learned and I practice and it's not easy and it and I have to kind of, go over that practice and it gets easier and easier of stopping and getting into that observant space and then remembering that my job is to investigate and Mm. then shed light and when I shed light that dark place gets lighter so fucking cheesy I can't believe I'm saying (laughs) that but you know but there's an acceptance there Mm -hmm. yeah and acceptance was it was a really hard word for me to learn to accept um 
because I think I had a lot of issues with that word, but when I investigated what those issues were from this sort of, and I get there through, I think now my practice is a lot of mindfulness and sometimes it's meditation, sometimes it's a lot, right now it's like so many affirmations because I love mm. I love this idea that I can just put it on in the background and I don't have to have the responsibility of getting serious and listening to it. it like I love this idea that there's something seeping things up. Like your subconscious. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. What do you, specifically, what are you listening to in the background? Specific, I mean, <laughs> I got really into a lot of Louise Hay. Okay, um, I don't know. She's, she's great. She's like this old, like, there's this specific morning meditation that I love. She's got this, like, old, cheesy voice, but she's, like, the mother of this kind of stuff. And my sister, actually, who had passed away recently, but she had introduced that, so it kind of came up just at the right time. And mm-hmm. she does this, like, morning, it just, like, it hit me, you know, where I was like, this is so great. And, and I remember at one time trying to listen to it, and it wasn't the time. Yeah. And that was such good knowledge. You were like pushing it away. Yeah, it was just point. like, yeah. I can't. She says something about like thanking your refrigerator. And I'm like, fuck my refrigerator. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> just, or thanking my favorite moment is she's like, thank your bathroom. Kings and queens weren't allowed to, like, weren't able to flush their shit down the toilet the way you are. She doesn't say shit, but I love that. Like, now it brings me so much joy. I That's, hope you enjoy But through these investments and lovely. Right? I mean, Louise Hay's great. And there's so many other, like, I will go on a I mean, I will go I on a you YouTube, like, tailspin, just, like, being like, and now get, I'll find some weird shit on there. And if, I, and if it resonates with me, I'm like, great, this is working. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think that's kind of been part of the journey as well, is learning that it's sort of not up to me what resonates. All I have to do is listen and be willing, be okay. I think the hard part is when what resonates with me doesn't align with what I think should Right, or how you see yourself. And I guess that's really, yeah. yeah. And I guess that's kind of like where my work as an artist really transformed because when I started making that connection in my recovery, I started making that connection with everything in my life. Mm-hmm. And once you have that realization, you kind of recognize that there's no choice because you, other than being authentic and if it's not up to me who I am authentically then now everything is less about creating this person to add up to what I think and more about getting quiet and listening and aligning with that and that's really scary because the head is always like it's not going to be the way I said it was going to be it's not going to look this way that perfectionism totally and then the the courage it takes to to then slowly like so slowly say, okay, if I'm willing to listen and maybe trust this intuitive voice and do this thing that actually feels joyful and seems like totally not what my perception of joy sh- joyful should be. Um, and, you know, part of my journey, like I think especially when you have what I've learned from my my food recovery, a lot of that for me was about just no, I'm not going to digest shit. It was just, it was really Mm. just a lot about like not being willing to or able to at the time because that was my, it was too much, almost like that greatness, that power was really too much um, to digest. And I love that idea of digestion because it's, you know, we, I've had to learn, as I've had to learn to re-digest food because when you're a bulimic, you're just literally not able to take in your power. You're like, I can't allow my body to do what it naturally does 
the same with sort of all this amazing, like, oh, there's this subconscious, there's this whole spiritual realm, there's this whole just thing that if my body can digest food without me getting in the way, then possibly my life can do the same. And that was sort of like the inroad for me when I started to make headway with my recovery. And and yeah, and that um Yeah, it just opened up all sorts of things with your creativity and mm-hmm. your artistry too. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Can I ask how when that recovery kind of started, just yeah. to kind of picture totally um, when those blocks were still there for you? Um I mean so for me it was the addictive quality, as as I understand, I've I've always always had it, right. um, and I think goes a lot with being artists. Or you know, we feel so much more from such a young age, and it really just became the way I would cope and deal with life. Mm-hmm. And this distrust of how much energy and power was coming. So again, not being able to trust it totally. Um, and I had it all throughout. You know, I definitely dealt with it in different ways throughout high school, but it really wasn't until I got out of college, and I think it sort of had simmered down during college because it was a safe space and such a creative space. And, you know, then you're back on your own and just all the stuff flared up because that was my natural coping mechanisms of like, oh, this whole powerless world thing, I know how to deal with this. I can control this. yeah. Yeah, and so it was very much about control, and it was very successful for me in a lot of ways. I've learned to become really grateful. So I guess, again, being mm. grateful for the dark place, that was definitely the, where the dark place existed the most for me, and having so much gratitude for what it gave me and how it allowed me to survive and what it allowed me to learn about myself because it was the compass that was like, you need to look over here. Yeah. And um, I was really lucky to just, I actually, and I remember this was about around the same time that I sort of, the ideas of like law of attraction and those things were coming into my life and there was definitely a lot of mental confusion and I think people can have a spiritual bypass with all that, but that's a whole other topic. (laughs) But I was understanding there's something about, I was really starting to self-investigate. I had moved to Los Angeles right out of high school. I'm not out Out of of college. college. Out of college. And you Um, went to Carnegie Mellon, just so listeners know. I went to Carnegie Mellon and I moved because I was from New York. I remember coming back here and just being like, all my friends who were here, were so, I was so like, I'm a New Yorker. We went to LA. I was like, fuck LA. I'm a New right, Yorker. Right. And I came here and I was like, everyone was so excited. And I was just not, I was like, what's going on? Everyone's more excited than me. And I realized like I needed just to get out of this right. space it wasn't that new I needed. Yeah. And I needed to learn how to drive. <laughs> so I literally like got my driver's license over a summer. I went to a guy named Angel who reminded me of my father. Daddy issues a whole other thing, but he <laughs> taught me how to drive. And he was like, what did he teach me? He was like, you don't need to go take the class. You just need to learn. He was like, if you can sing, how much is the doggy in the window and do it at the same time, you're fine. Anyways, <laughs> I somehow passed my driver's test, got to LA and So the law of attraction stuff, and I started just, I think also the space that that city holds, it was something so new. I was used to like being crammed in subways my whole life with other people, so I never had the attention all on myself. And the second it got quiet, it was like all the voices. It was just all the voices, and so I'm so grateful. I think LA called me for that reason. Like I thought I was going because I'm like, film and TV, and it's going to be sunny and great, and something, you know, my whole ideas. But really, I think... The universe was like, this is where you're going to investigate, deal with some stuff. stuff. And it took a while, you know, and I I booked my first 
big role actually through I it was through a casting director in New York but I did it on tape so it was you know it was mm. like one of those things where it was so and it was so wonderful I mean because the role was something that I remember a voice in my head being like well you're never going to get this because I've been told you know you have to be in your type whatever that was and it was so whatever out of type really right. was but something totally resonated this character came to life in me and surprised me and I booked that and you know doing that for the first time being on set, and I'm really proud of the work I did in that film, but I was in a prison outfit. I mean, I was, was not like a glamorous role, mm -hmm. and my disease was like the most out of control it had ever been because it was something so new, and so I was recognizing like, whoa, I need to be able to align myself with like what's gonna be coming into my life. So that was the beginning of, yeah. of that for me. And I had brought up Law of Attraction because I remember that was a job that had come after I sort of was like, oh, if I start treating myself better, I'd made that connection and then it was one of those things where the universe was like, boom, and you're like, whoa, this shit's <laughs> magic. And then the second my brain started thinking it knew what it was doing, it was like. But yeah, I mean, and from there it was, there it was, I found a therapist who was like, honestly saved my life. She was incredible. And mm -hmm. I found a recovery community and it was and I did so much work, and I probably cried for like two years straight, you know? Yeah. So it was like a lot of being in that dark place, just looking around and shining so many flashlights and finding like closets inside of closets. <laughs> <laughs> like, what have I been hiding from myself yeah, all this time? Yeah, but like, I was, I mean, I just can't even, I feel like such a more empowered artist now. Yeah. Of just knowing, I, I remember, like especially having done like you know gone to LaGuardia and been an actor since always knowing like this dark knowing these dark places is why is like our job it's also why it's like hard when you're younger and also why like you need to really have a nice firm grounding and it can be an unhealthy space for a lot of people but to be able to kind of get that and now be able to go to those places without without fear because I know it's just stuff that I went you know that it's not scary, but it's useful. Yeah. There's um yeah, there's something about living in that place where like you acknowledge that, oh, these are things that are in me, were in me, that I survived. And that they're there and then here I am in this healthy place. Mm -hmm. Like there is that dichotomy of like always living exactly like you said, like living with the dark side. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's why, I mean, obviously there's, there's a dark side and it's my favorite thing to talk about, but now I think of it as like my, my all side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of just like to take away the fear. Cause I guess that's where a lot of my anxieties and perfection, all of it is just from not, from not wanting to be like, oh, that's just me. Hmm. And it's actually not, it's not too, I can sit in this room and cry and that's actually not scary or I can have those hard conversations and it's not scary, but, and community, I think yeah. you were telling me, you know, the genesis of this podcast being talking to people about it and why this is so great, what we're doing. I think of it as like, you know, that scene in uh, Hocus Pocus where they're like, there's that like black concrete and it looks like, uh -huh. and it looks <laughs> like this horrifying and like witty and they're like, <laughs> trying to go and she's like, let me do head or like something yeah and they're like doing a terrible imitation probably ruining this <laughs> for like hardcore fans but like that's how I think of my you know my soulmates and my friends in recovery and just like my sisters and my brothers are just like 
someone who's been through it before and has been like, no, 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 I promise you that's concrete. You can walk on it. And you're like, I don't fucking, I don't believe it at all. Yeah. And that faith walk, that like moment where you take their hand and you do it. And it's just those little tiny steps and building it. And then you're walking on water, you know, so you think, but it's that person's hand. And that's why I think it's just everything that we're seeing happening in the industry. It's just so beautiful where it's just the reaching out and then, you know, what I've learned in my recovery is you have to kind of give back what you get and being able to do that now say, oh, I just did it. No, I promise. Take my hand. Like you can walk over this concrete. It's not water. <laughs> I think that maybe I made that scene up. Maybe. I haven't seen it in a while, but I believe it's true. I have a, a memory of uh, Sarah Jessica Parker like yeah. being scared of stepping on that. Um, so how do you deal? You were talking about mindfulness, but like nowadays mm-hmm. when you are facing like anxieties mm-hmm. with artistic or industry situations. Yeah. What are the, some of the things that you, um, that you reach for in those, yeah. in those kinds of things? Ooh. Okay. So Reese, I remember this happened over the summer and it was a tumultuous summer, but it was specifically, it was funny with all the big things happening, nothing really gets at you, like your art stuff, <laughs> you know? Um, it was a job well, it can that be I was so personal that we can be obsessive about it. Right. I mean, you really do put bits of your soul in this. And I remember it was a job that was going to be the job that was going to change my life, you know. Of course. And I was so I think part of it too is now being at this place where I'm able to hold lot I it's not that the voices went away, it's that I'm able to sort of when I get quiet over practice like hold all of the voices and like tune into what I want to be hearing and what I'm more like that's my intuition I know what that is thank you very much but I'm gonna quiet you down for a second I'm not shutting you up I'm just toning you down um and so I remember you know being aware of like just like I'm so this is such a big I'm feeling emotion because I'm this is such a big great thing and simultaneously just so sad but but I've practiced so much of getting quiet and listening. There's this amazing, actually, I'm going to give this to you. Maybe I don't know if you put stuff on your podcast, yeah, but sure. there's this amazing Sharon Salzberg is a, also a meditation teacher. I love, and she, I love meditation and it's very much actor stuff too. Just when I'm feeling so heightened in my emotion, I just now know that I, the first thing is like, stop, <laughs> you know, it's like the stop, drop and roll, but I just stop. And it's just, it's just the physical thing. Like first just paying attention to like, where is it in my body? That's always the most, it's really helpful for me. Even if, even like pre audition anxiety of just like, where is it in my body? And first and identifying it, like it's in my gut, it's right in the center of my belly button. Like now it's swirling down my knees and it's cause it becomes this like, whoa, this is a physical experience happening. And yeah. I can, and I think that's the observation part, you know, where you start to sort of say this is something happening inside of me and to me and I can also observe it and recognize like what stories I'm putting on it mm-hmm. or and that's not my entire being right it's something that's happening right or and so this is and the stories I used to just jump to story mm-hmm. you know and I think what I've learned to do now and try to do and I don't always do successfully and luckily I feel like I have a good people around me who if I spiral into story can also tell me I'm doing that but trying to just like get so quiet and and identify identify the stories that are happening I guess 
you know, because it's not Something about like, that they're not. Oh my god, but, they're gonna hate me, or I'm not right yeah. for this. Like those kinds of stories, you mean? Yeah, like yeah. listening to it. It's it's kind of amazing. Like when you can get quiet and listen. It's crazy what our mind will do. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, and I'm like, well, that's where plays come from, right? That's where yeah. everything comes from. These voices, and sometimes it can be really entertaining. And it and there's that, you know, there's the mental part, and then I'm like, and there's this physical response. So it's taking care of that physical and honoring it and being like, this is gonna pass, you know, and. I have friends that I'll call and like will sit on the phone with me if I need them to. Mm-hmm. I can sit with myself. It's kind of identifying like what I need, but more that it's like it's okay. Because yeah. for so long it was just not okay. You know, so long for me it was like the perfectionism was so extreme. It was like it's not okay to be feeling those things. This is a sign of weakness and there's something wrong with me to be feeling it as opposed to like if I wasn't feeling something, then something would be terribly wrong <laughs> and something was wrong for a long time it was numb yeah. I couldn't feel that was my drug of choice like let me numb out because I don't want to go there yeah um so that I think is sort of right now yeah it, it seems simple when I say it to feel those things in a way yeah instead of choosing to numb them yeah and then the dry that's sort of the beginning of the digestive process yeah but again like I love that way of talking about it you know just like slowing down first I guess you know you have to put the food in your mouth and say okay now I'm willing to let this thing happen and not run from being like it's gonna take its course mm-hmm. I'm not sure how long because I always want to put my timetable on it like okay I have this much time to mourn and then I'm done you know and then the tears are done and because that makes me feel safe like you have a system yeah. yeah, but it's the more I can kind of be like, okay, I'm willing to think that maybe it's not up to me, but I'm still breathing air and my body's still, you know, it's yeah, it's okay in this moment. But it really becomes just the moment to moment, the moment to moment. And I think, I think maybe that's the biggest difference from like five years ago and now. Five years ago, it was like the 10 year to 10 year and you know, my head would go that far ahead. Mm. And now it really is just like listening. It's so just tightened down to listening moment to moment. And there's Mm. so much in there, you know? Yeah, that perspective shift. Yeah. So when did you come back from, how long have you been back in New York? Yeah. From LA? It'll be two years, I think. Yeah. And that was a big, I mean, that was a big intuitive move. I always knew... I would come back because this is my home base and my mom was a genius and and bought a property here like Smart. when it was possible yeah <laughs> back in the day in Brooklyn so I always knew that was a possibility I just kind of had been waiting for that moment and I remember going for a run one day and being like this is the moment and then immediately as I had that intuitive moment I had gotten a call that was some really bad news about a relationship I'd been in, but it was just one of those things where it was like, did I know that it was like a psychic sort of, but also my world flipped upside down. Yeah. And yet everything that I had practiced, that was like a really big, uh, it could have been a dark moment. And yet it was like this odd moment of like, I mean, so much shifted for me. It was another opportunity to investigate so much in myself and like, oh, there's still closets and doors and things I need to look through. And I also had been doing um, a lot of soul searching and this idea of when you start to really listen to like what really makes me joyful, what really brings me this, just 
as I'd been doing this work slowly, those ideas of what I thought it needed to be or how I had decided it was going to look. I remember very specifically, especially growing up in New York, and I feel embarrassed saying this. I don't, I don't know why, but because <laughs> but, it's so revealing. Of, but I just remember being a little kid growing up here, and I grew up among all these amazing my, – both my parents were artists. My mom had been a dancer, and my dad – was a professor and also made films and did documentaries. And so I grew up in this, like, all their friends were these sort of artists in New York. And I had made this just connection between, like, the theater not being what it used to be. I was 10. I didn't know what (laughs) I mean. I didn't know. That was something you had heard But it was very much, yeah, became cemented that it's not what it used to be. And Broadway stars are coming from Hollywood. So, like, I made this concrete idea in my head that in order to be given permission to work in theater – you had to become successful and make money right. in Hollywood. Which is one way it works now. Totally. But only one way. But it's so fascinating to see how this little kid, and I've had to yeah. learn that about so many things. I mean, I'll hear now all these, like, I still have, like, so many of them, these, like, beliefs, these little things that pop up where I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I have, like, a 1950s housewife in my head, and I'm like, <laughs> where did that come from? But these things that we pick up as, like, truth truth cultural baggage family baggage systemic baggage and we're all immune to like we all have this collective shit you know that's interesting and that was one that like through some of my recovery work it had come up very clearly was like it's like what is this like but my my like inner child so firmly believed this and was like clinging to it and I had gotten what I really needed from Los Angeles and I I love LA I love LA so much and like all my friends you know it's such a great place but I was like there's something I was like I'm ready to get like you know mush against people in the subway again like I'm ready now now I'm ready to hear about myself and other people again and mm-hmm. just have that have seasons and <laughs> you know but there was something along those lines that my intuition was like this you can let go of this your story somewhere else like you're gonna find joy in these other places just trust and listen to this yeah. You might be surprised, but just trust. And so I did, with the help of this breakup, make that move. And it all aligned perfectly, even though it was painful. So what's it been like to be back in the city where you grew up? It's so... Because it's, it's just interesting. So many people, like, come here yeah. from other places, yeah. like, grew up other places. But you already have things you associate it with, yeah. associating it with your younger self. Like. I mean, I, I, I came back so different that it really felt like I was so excited yeah. You could separate. From uh, it just your felt new. Yeah. yeah, it felt I I could I see my child self in so many places and also I mean, it's also moving back to New York is not like moving back to other places where you're like that's the same. I mean, they yeah, literally build my neighborhood is like not where I grew up. So <laughs> at all, there literally is the piers and a whole new space of land. So it it's not quite where I grew up and things have changed so much, but it's so nice to be really fully in a different head. It's just, I feel like a different person. So it's been, I've been able to like seep everything in, in a different way. And I was ready. It felt really, and it invited me back. So it's been, you know, it's been really tremendous coming back and getting involved with, which I'm sure we'll discuss, but I got involved with Irondale Mm -hmm. Theater Company in Brooklyn and they've kind of become an amazing home base with the work I've been doing there and just I mean I just started writing it was just something art it was just That's the great. right time and it was just 
Yeah, I'm so curious how location influences people's creativity. Yeah, I mean, awesome. it felt like it called me, just like LA called me at the time to come back. And here I definitely like can write in a way that I couldn't when yeah, I was what there. what form does your writing take? Are you a playwright or? I write right now. More of like a journal? Definitely journaling has been like, <clears throat> definitely journaling is like huge. And I guess that's another tool for the dark place mm-hmm. or the dark space is just getting it out on paper, which I'm always resistant until maybe like it. two paragraphs. And, you yeah. know, um, especially, I don't know, when I'm answering that, I'm seeing myself on the subway with my phone. I'm just really getting in the practice of those firefly, I almost see them as firefly thoughts and capturing them. Because I know how it feels when you see one go away and you're you're just in that space of like, it's such a good idea. It feels so good. You feel like a rush in your body, almost the way you do when you see someone you're attracted to, You that when there's a firefly idea uh-huh. and it goes away. And that's fine. And I've also learned to be like, that's totally fine because they keep coming. Mm. Another thing I've had to trust and also... I believe now, but took a while and some affirmations of like, there's, I used to really believe like there's one boat, you got to get on it. You know, you don't want to miss that opportunity. And now I believe they just keep coming. I mean, I see, who is it? It's in Big Magic. Mm -hmm. Have you read that book? You know, that idea of like, those ideas are, yes, that the ideas are floating around and they're not necessarily ours, but we see them and someone's going to take it. And I've definitely seen ideas from like, I had that idea, (laughs) but more come. So, but you are trying to record them when you can. Right. And so I think that's, that's become a practice of just like, how do I, and some of those, one of those has become, um, one of them became a pilot. One of them became a short film that I actually just finished with my mom, which we can discuss oh, more. It's short film slash documentary. And then one of them is becoming a play, but different things. But that definitely was something that wasn't even making way and I think I was just doing all the self-writing when I was in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I want to talk about all of that, but can we talk about the work you're doing with Irondale yeah. now, since that's how we originally connected? Yeah, because um, you'd said on Art Girl Army, which just shout out to Art Girl Army. Hey. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for artists, <clears throat> or I'm just, I'm interested in any artist, but right now I'm particularly interested in talking with people who yeah. are trying to make change, trying to make positive change. I know the word activist is a strong word and some people don't feel like what Mm. they're doing is enough to claim it but I think people know what I mean when I'm Mm -hmm. artists who are also activists I mean you know they're trying to take action in some way yeah trying to make positive change especially right now and I think that was probably a big calling for coming back to New York which I didn't realize I mean which I'm realizing that more now my parents were definitely politically active so much when I was when they they met writing for the Communist Labor Party <laughs> newspaper um, in New York, but they both did. My mom did a lot of political theater. My dad was politically involved a lot, so I grew up around that and getting back in touch with sort of how do you give voice to that in my own artistry. And I was lucky to be invited into the connection. To Irondale is one of my theater teachers at Carnegie Mellon, Barbara McKenzie Wood. This is her company. Oh, okay, and well, she was one of the founders, but. She's at Carnegie, so she's not there. But it's she's still Jim Neeson and Terry Grease. And um, yeah, I got involved working on. I actually was asked they needed someone had dropped out of stage managing last minute for one of their shows, and I was like, I'll do it. And then just they open arm like grabbed me, and now I'm on the board, and it's 
just like such an incredible community. But nice. I was asked to join. They had done one round of this project called To Protect, Serve, and Understand. Um, and I was asked to join the second round of that. And so what that project is, it's a community program with the New York Police Department um, between each round we have seven officers and seven civilians and we meet once a week and we do improvisation and theater games and use all of that to generate understanding and and empathy and communication Um, so this project generated out of Terry after the Eric Garner incident he wrote a letter to the police department in New York and uh, said I think out of just passion, the letter's on our website, you can read it, but just we as actors have this, we're taught the skill, no one is listening, no one is pausing. We know how to do this because we have to, or we're doing a bad job. Yeah. Let us, can we do something? And they wrote back to him immediately and said, let's start this pilot program. So they did the first session, which I wasn't a part of, and then got to jump in on the second round. And I've done two, and we're getting ready on November 21st to do our fourth. And it's changed my life. I mean, especially we were in, we actually, we canceled a session because it was supposed to be on election night. Uh Thank God we did. But coming back that night, I mean, we've been through some stuff and it was, it was really, yeah, this work is, it's all about everything we're talking about, actually listening, but doing it (laughs) in a dark place Uh (laughs) and shedding light for each other how Um, do you how do people get involved how do the participants get chosen so it's volunteer Mm -hmm. for the civilians they'll hear about it and they'll sign up so we get it's really about and terry's great at sort of whoever shows up is who's meant to be there which is again my i get really like i want like the rainbow there i want all these different people because how's it going to be right if we're not all represented and part of the practice is also like who's showing up is who is who's supposed to be there and having these conversations Mm. um and then the police officers you know they'll sign up they'll volunteer as well we had one police officer say she was voluntold last time but they (laughs) find their different their ways there and whoever shows up shows up and we start every session which is the most important thing breaking bread together so we do a huge family meal um Janet was our cook she was one of the amazing she would cook this amazing food and literally breaking bread with my favorite I'm so excited for the first night of the one coming up of just like you're sitting with first of all it's so rare to sit with just 14 strangers people you don't know and share a meal let alone knowing why you're all there and that seven of these people are police officers you yeah, know that's so charged yeah and and they're armed <laughs> while they're there mm-hmm. which actually we don't realize when you know you don't really see because they are in their civilian clothing but because they're on duty they are and so there's so much that happens but part of it is that family bonding and that community bonding and then during our dinner conversation terry will always bring up uh or one of us will bring up a topic that's one of those topics that you're like oh we're gonna go there so we'll talk about gun control we'll talk about stop and frisk we'll talk about all of those things and we'll start having conversations and they'll get very heated and they can get very controversial and then we'll stop and get up and do a mirroring exercise Mm -hmm. and then 
do a ball toss exercise and everyone's laughing and and then we'll get back to the why are we here conversation and start to implement some of this improvisation so that we're not just talking the way we would be talking but we're using a different medium to do it so there's a yeah, there's pause things connecting you at mm-hmm. the same time so we'll and we'll and we play with what we introduce and we're all coming from different backgrounds so we started to bring in some Bawal stuff last some Augusta Bawal stuff last time and um Terry works closely with Allen Alda Institute and certainly Irondale has been doing this work for 35 years so they have their whole unique way of doing it which I've learned and it's been amazing um but it's profound I'm getting ready to do a kickstarter for it so exciting um when you mean that they've been doing it for such a long time do you mean like with different community issues Mm -hmm. before he started this particular program so Irondale has like a 35-year history of working in communities and schools and on top of doing their work as a theater company they've also gone into prisons and improv this specifically this type of improv is the games that we're doing with these police officers is stuff we'll use when we're getting ready for a production so and I also teach with them through their steam program so we'll be teaching high school scientists and we're using a lot of the same games it mm. just differs depending the purpose, on purpose yeah mm-hmm. And there's some really good NPR covered it. There's been a lot of coverage of it, so I can give you okay. some of that yeah. stuff. Of, and I'll post it for sure. But I think it goes, it, it really has been, a, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's sure really it hard, and it's taught me a lot about how to listen to my self. Because there will, especially as the moderator, my role is not really to be sharing my opinion at all times, but more to really be holding the space and leading these exercises so it's really been about I mean I remember one time getting so heated where I just like talk about feeling I felt my body felt like it was boiling just feeling like overwhelmed with just the information I was receiving because when you start to drop into listening in a really deep way you're understanding a lot more you're understanding things in an emotional way and it's not always I think people some of the feedback I've gotten when people first hear to protect, serve, and understand is, oh, it's kumbaya, it's understand, like, I'm not going to fucking understand those fucking things, I'm not right. going to understand, they don't <laughs> understand me, I don't understand them, and I'm like, understanding doesn't mean you have to change your mind. Right, and it doesn't mean that you're on someone's side. Right. Like, that we're, we're trying to get you to understand the police officers, or they're, you know, right. you guys are there in the middle. You're holding space, and you're, mm-hmm. you're listening, and you're learning, and really getting into that place which is for me I think all truth exists in paradox at least in my journey I've found anytime there's something I'm like ding 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 that's the that's the truth it's right in between like Mm -hmm. these two contradictions where do you leave the program at the end Mm -hmm. because it's not something that like is going to be solved right like at the end of your program it's not like you come to the answer right since these are such huge well, what's wonderful, and especially in, we have an alumni group, so we do uh-huh. continuative meetings together and keep oh, in cool. conversation. So we're amassing, I mean, now there's 50 alumni and definitely more people who have seen it, but 50 people have gone through this. And I, and we talk about, like, has this affected you? Are you bringing this into your 
work beyond this? Sharing it with other people. Are you sharing this? And I have deep confidence just from my experience that it's transformed who I am. So Mm -hmm. I have no doubt. I don't think you can go through something like that and have it not. And I think that's where the family aspect of it is really important. Um, When you build this family dynamic, no matter how much you may disagree in that moment, you feel a a sense of loyalty. So the different opinions you've heard, which is so rare, you rarely, you know, we're all in in our bubbles. Mm -hmm. This moment to have gotten really close with someone who might have such a different perspective than you and important thing that I left out, but part of the work we do is then those officers go out and interview civilians who are not in the room and they'll Mm -hmm. do interviews with citizens or civilians who aren't in the room and the civilians in the room do the same with seven other police officers who aren't in the room. So by the end, we have all these perspectives and they take those interviews and do them as monologues. So they're actually doing the act of stepping into the shoes of another person and that's that's awesome majorly perspective shifting um I wasn't there for this but Terry tells me a story about a woman who was a police officer who had to do that the first round with a younger black man who was sharing his story with him about with her about not feeling safe with police officers and like not being able to go out on the street without fearing getting shot and she was going to do that as a monologue. And before the show, was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, it's a lie. He's he's a good kid. This is a lie. And Terry was like, well, you committed to this. Just try it. This is a perform. Everyone understands you're performing this. You're com- committed to it. Just do it. And she did. And afterwards, she came to him and was like, I get it. You know? Mm-hmm. And we understand that and as take actors. it for granted as actors. Yeah. We don't judge our characters because we can't. In order to in order to step in the shoes, you kind of have to get to a place of non-judgment. And it doesn't mean that I would play a sociopath and validate their choices, but that's the understanding and the empathy, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. So I think they're taking I think it's I think all the most important work happens after the session, to your question of the moments when at least when I found myself in conversation, I don't immediately go to the place I was before I've done this work. I have, I have the police officer's perspective in mind. It's just broader for me. It's harder because things are more complex and it's more comfortable when it was black and white and I only had to be angry. Mm-hmm. Like, that was much, it was just much easier, <laughs> you know? And, and to now, I think that speaks to where we are as a country is, a lot of the work Van Jones does of just how do we take in that like half our country feels this way yeah how do we take in that we are all part of this there's no escaping it you know it's so complicated yeah so that's sort of in this microcosmic way I think and we always change you know and some days I go in I'm like this is not fucking doing anything this isn't They're not listening to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times we did. There's a lot of not listening going. It's not like every moment is well, listening. Well, it did cross through my mind because it can be <laughs> a self-selecting group to, like you said, the people who show up. I'm sure some of them are meant to be there. And I'm also sometimes the people who volunteer for those sorts of things right. just want to hear themselves talk. Right. And don't want to listen. There's a like whole... Like they see an opportunity for an audience in a way, you know? I mean, seeing the shifts, though, when... S- we know what it is because we know what it is when we see it we're trained to watch it on stage and be like you're listening you're not listening you know what I mean like (laughs) but to really observe it in people and when people really listen it's the most profound 
it's the most profound thing and it's it doesn't have to we happen all it. the time to make a difference we you know need it so much and yeah there's a lot of not listening that happens but that's also the work yeah. you know that's the work of it is like getting in there and doing the exercises until there's an aha moment mm-hmm. and even if there's just one it's worth it Well, tell me about some of your other stuff that you're excited about right now. Yeah. Your film and that yeah. you just did with your mom. What's that yeah. like? So, the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, tell me about, because um, that is interesting that you come from an artistic family. That's yeah. Great. On the other end of the spectrum, so, my mom and I, I grew up with, uh, my parents were separated. Okay. And so, my dad was here and then he moved. He was in, he's in Puerto Rico. Is he doing okay after the storm? Yeah, yeah. He was really lucky um they were happened to just be in an enclave that was okay but he's doing good and he's doing a lot of really good work out there to talk about community activism they're like just a shout out to what he's doing right now is they're working with they wrote Greenpeace and got generators from them so they're working to get those all around for arts organizations to keep on being able to produce shows and you know because their whole Thing is that culture is so important in these times yes food yes all those things but, but also people, people need to come together yeah. in times of trauma and need to have a space to create and yeah. to and support each other yeah so that speaks exactly to this so he's doing that and that's really mm. awesome but thank you for asking yeah um so two summers ago my mother and I went down to the Jersey Shore where we've been going since I was really little and I asked my mom to take mushrooms with me <laughs> okay <laughs> and I know police officers mushrooms it's <laughs> and, and did she say yes and she said yes and she let me film <laughs> the entire thing oh my goodness so I don't know I really didn't know at the time why I mean I knew I I was like I want to write this I had this idea for this short film again one of those firefly moments and I knew I wanted to write this and I was like well we should just do it and I want to film it so we did and it was incredible (laughs) and I did film it and I knew I wanted to go back and do the short film and write it but what I didn't really expect was that it became this collaborative experience between us so we ended up um renting out a rehearsal space because we couldn't work in our like personality we couldn't work in our apartments together because there would just be too much trauma (laughs) but it was really like a white room you know again going back to what was so great that I learned that I had forgotten about the the value of space in that way this Twyla Tharp idea of this white room you know Mm. so we did that and we started to we did I mean we would do viewpoints and Bogart's viewpoints together we did dance we would stream of conscious and we found the story of what was what was really the story behind what had happened between us when we tripped on mushrooms wow so we really unpacked it and then we went back this august and we brought this amazing creator meredith adelaide who was my dp who again this whole thing was just starting to really play around and like really getting a grasp of my intuitive artistry and just being like i know i need to ask her and it worked out. I mean, it was incredible. It was just three women. And we were really creating from this feminine space, which was, when I say feminine, I think it was just that it was a lot of trust without, it wasn't product oriented. Mm-hmm. It was very much about, we have this time, we have this space, but we're going to unearth what this story is together. Almost at times felt like 
you just it was a mirroring right I didn't know who was leading and who was following sometimes yeah so it was extraordinary and we got like seven hours of footage so the next step is we're going to be crowdfunding to get an editor because we matched the footage so we matched the scripted footage to match the documentary so that the final film can be both and hopefully it'll be seamless enough that you won't know which is which kind of awesome yeah so that was exciting (laughs) so that's and it'll be my first and it was really the first time directing and directing my mom yeah I'm working with my mom and my mom's amazing but it was really deep the film ended up it's about what I realized the whole thing was really about was finding my mom and I in this space where our inhibition was free enough that we could talk about death Hmm. and it became about us confronting yeah that she'll die and that she also brought me here and what is this with you know what is life with the person who gave you life yeah um so it was really a deep experience and in many ways the mushrooms were amazing but it was what the mushrooms led to was to more amazing to talk about that yeah and to us having this creative experience together wow <laughs> that's really interesting and had you you hadn't really like worked together quote unquote worked Mm-mm. together before then Mm-mm. and so I had no I mean it was yeah. really scary for both of us um that's great that she I mean I know she's an artist herself so well now I mean she hasn't been to it but um she was very nervous it's great that she was up for it yeah you know and she was very it was interesting because what came out was I think part of her saying yes was like our codependency we were dealing with like she was very scared she had a heart thing she didn't tell me about necessarily and then she did and I was like let's do it anyway let's just do it because I think my anxiety was like needing to get it done so all my stuff was coming up and her stuff was coming up but we got to learn so much then in unpacking that and that became a part of our characters yeah when we played ourselves in the film are you an only child yeah yeah I had a half sister she oh, passed yes. away recently yes, but I was actually. between the two of us it was very like sisters mother daughter best friends enemies the whole we've been through the whole thing so it was yeah. but and now co-creators which was so fun so I'm, I'm very excited about that the crowdfunding is a I actually used to produce crowdfunding campaigns uh, as a job for other people, but then to do it for yourself is a whole other. It's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about your name, because I need to. Know, yeah. I need to know. You mentioned before we started that Rivka right. is your chosen name. Yeah. So, my birth name is Rebecca, mm-hmm. and Rivka uh, is Rebecca in Hebrew. My full name is Rebecca Berkman Rivera. So mm-hmm. my mom and my dad's last names and. Coming out of college, I had my first manager say, well, you should go by Rebecca Rivera because it's not it's not confusing. You know, it's very, you're that. Go by, and where I was at the time, the people-pleasing, the just having no, I just had no clue of how to listen to myself was just yes. I remember saying yes in a car just because that's what I was taught. You just say yes. I was too afraid to say anything other than yes. And I didn't even know that I had any other opinion about it. But it never really sat with me because maybe, I mean, not even because of the name, but because of how the decision was made. Hmm. It resonated. It held, especially as I was doing my recovery work, it, it just held that resonance for so long of just say yes. And, and so, we're taught that so much as women. Yes. 
<laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, so it held that, and I and I remember in the early stages of doing my meditations, Rithka came to me, and I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I was like, "That's an old grandma's name." <laughs> I was like, "That's an old grandma." Let me look it up. Maybe it means like destined to be a superstar. <laughs> and I looked it up, and it means to bind. And I was like, well, I can't tell a husband if my name means to bind. It's like horrifying. What is this? <laughs> but it became so clear when I sat with it that to bind a lot of my journey and a lot of what kind of took me apart through my stuff was this disparity between my two, my Jewish side, my Puerto Rican side, feeling pulled between both coming from a separated home. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot of stuff with that. And to bind made so much sense because it was binding myself whole again. Yeah. So I chose Rivka and now I go by Rivka Rivera. So I have that Jewish side, not Puerto Rican side in one name. And it's also a chosen name. Yeah. And I remember consciously when I changed my name, knowing I wouldn't ask anyone for permission. So it wasn't like I'm thinking about even though I wanted to, I could feel myself wanting to like be like, Do you, is this a good idea? Even your parents? You were, I didn't ask anyone. Yeah. And I knew that was the most important part. You know, I just wrote my managers and I said, this is what I'm doing. And they were totally amazing about it. No one, good. no one bad it not. You know what I mean? There wasn't like a right, thing. Right, but I'm sure you were prepared. Oh, heart, I was like, like everyone's going to be like, no. This is what I'm going to say when I they told tell my, me. And my mom and my dad were great about it. And my friends were great. You know, everyone's great. It was, people are just like, do I call you Becky? Do I call, what do I? And I'm like, you've never called me Rebecca. That's what I really felt like I was changing was that. So people call me Becky. But it's amazing, especially my boyfriend now, because I met him as Rivka. And that's what he knows you as. Yeah. And it's, and, and I, and there are people who now know me just as Rivka and that's become so a part of who I am. And I can feel how that's, that decision really is a change how I like, you know, carry myself, the molecules in my body. And I never really thought, I mean, I could never thought that I would believe in that, but <laughs> it's, I remember reading in Twyla Tharp's book, again, I'm a big fan of hers, but the empty space she talks about the power of names and naming yourself and that was I powerful that. yeah how has it been for you with the industry seeing those two different sides of yourself mm-hmm. with casting and everything have you had to navigate it hasn't really waters? been probably oh like guide oh, guide them oh, oh. and how how to I thought about the name change like, I was like they changed it on IMDb it's fine um, <laughs> but like as far as being yeah. seen for uh-huh. Hispanic roles or being seen for Jewish roles or like having people right. like sometimes people's right. imagination is not large enough mm-hmm. to be like, oh, she can play all of these things. You know? Well, that's what was so beautiful and surprising about my first big role because it was um, it was like this Hispanic character named Pedra and she was you know, a gang leader in this prison, in a girl's prison, before Orange is the New Black. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I remember putting it on, I remember putting it on tape, and like I said, just thinking, well, I know what they're going to say, because I've gotten that before, like, not Hispanic enough, whatever the fuck that means, because have you been to Puerto Rico? Like, you, there's no such thing as what a Hispanic looks like, so. Exactly. Um... But I knew what they meant, <laughs> Hollywood Hispanic or whatever that is. And so I did definitely have this thing like, oh, I'm not going to be whatever. So 
that actually freed me up in that. I remember it freed me up because I remember going, putting that on tape and just knowing this person, you know, from living in New York, from I just knew this person and I remember doing it. I don't think I even slated. And now when I slate, I do do it in character as much as possible because I'm Mm. aware that, especially for film and TV, they want more of you to until you're famous they want the person they want to cast the person and to think they're casting especially that right especially coming from theater is like I've always that's kind of always been my thing is to do like transform to transform yeah <laughs> I wanted to call me um, <laughs> so it was such a shock when I'm like what do you want me to be and I've never really felt connected to what people saw at first but so anyways I booked this role and I remember it shot in Atlanta and because I booked it over tape and they had been searching and searching and searching for this character and I got there and he showed up in like you know my hair down and <laughs> and like my fur on and whatever and like hi I'm and I remember the first time someone they're like who are you playing and just that and just having that moment of like fuck and this was my first I'd never been on a set before and it ended up being a leading part I was just like you're like don't let them question me (laughs) I was fucking terrified but um that's when all the work the training that's when it all clicked in and it was really you know they put did them no makeup cornrows tattoos and once I got in character she was there but uh, so to steer question yeah and now that was funny because once you do something really well successfully then that's my majority of my reel so actually what's funny is I go in for a lot of parts like that isn't that funny you know and so now (laughs) and I've learned and I can't and I have to kind of go in like that but it's expanding Hmm. and I think I think I feel I don't know about you but I just feel even just as of this month like revolutionary just so excited I'm just so excited to be a woman in this industry right now you know we're all talk about dark place I think everyone's just turning their flashlights on (laughs) you know well and I love what you said about knowing that you're not gonna be what they have in their imagination but using that as like a a freedom or like a fuck you well I'm just gonna (laughs) that I'm gonna use that as a way to not feel the pressure to like put yourself into that stereotype right and it's hard and it's it's hard it's so hard it's so it and but that's been the work of just the more I get to know myself the more I understand what that means if I'm going to do a role I don't think I knew that I didn't, I didn't know that for a, I didn't really know that for a long time like who what I was bringing even though I yeah. know I was bringing stuff to have the confidence of the knowledge you can be really talented and amazing and not fucking know it you know and I think especially coming out of school I lost that that first year I had a string of going to some really finding really bad teachers who were just Mm. guru teachers who were really into sick stuff like beating you know I think there's a string of them just like like I think it's sick to to tell people they're not good you know, because you've, I think there's a string of that, of just like, yeah. and actually really crazy people, but like, like people who narcissism are. Narcissism and just yeah. being mean. And or they're not grounded finishing. and they feel that they need to earn their paycheck, so they make shit up. Huh. You know, and I think, and if, if I was to give advice to anyone coming out of school, I would just say, you've earned it, you know, and to just, 
I've learned now, and I had a one of my coaches who's amazing, Sarah Mornell, it's like, that was one of the things she talked about a lot was like, how do you create your tiny little dome and don't it's got it especially now going into audition rooms which is so counterintuitive because as an actor it's all about being open and free and like letting Mm -hmm. things in and I'm so empathetic and you know that's what we've practiced and learned to do for four years and so now you have to shut it all off because if you're open yeah the second I see a look or someone's on their phone or someone's this I'm like taking that in and that's like and I think that's that's what I've been training, and it is good. Yeah, but it's a whole other beast of a thing. <laughs> um, I've had you here for a long time, but there's more things I want to ask you. Let me see about that one. Um, I love talking. <laughs> I know, we could keep going forever. Can we talk a little bit about day jobs? Yeah. And all the ways that you've found to patchwork, yes. patchwork together mm-hmm. your income since um, being out of school or since being that was, oh, just what you're doing right I now. I love that. That was I actually taught a class on this, on freelancing, and yeah? your perception around it at the University of Georgia. Um, and that was so profound because I put together all this, because I just didn't realize I was so passionate about it, but... That's the that's the reality for so many mm-hmm. actors or any kind of artists. Like you gotta have a side hustle mm-hmm. at least part of the time because mm-hmm. you're not always gonna be making. And thank your God, income. Because honestly, actors who just act are can get rather boring as actors. <laughs> I I do. You gotta keep that. gathering. Somehow you have to keep gathering. Yeah, your life experience. that's our job. And so yeah. I think early on, you know, talk about dark places when I can when I there was that perception I would tell myself that story of especially right out of school when I had this idea of how it should be and it didn't add up that I was a failure because I was doing something else right this idea that who fucking some people this was like (laughs) I think some man said you know you're not an actor if you're doing anything other than acting some man probably said (laughs) I do remember though I remember and I understand this but I do hate it also um I remember being told at LaGuardia you know if you can do anything else do it right which I don't like either and I was like that seems absolutely insane if you can do anything else do it because it's only going to enhance what you're doing now or the idea that if you wear too many hats again any of these themes that come out of anxiety I'm like fuck now I've learned to be like that's no yeah that just sounds fear-based and fuck that like if I can wear numerous hats, it's all one hat. It's all my brand. Right. And I think that is changing a little bit now. Yeah. With technology and people being able to produce their own stuff and a lot of these TV shows where the creators have kind of come out of doing web series or right. are writing and directing and acting. and Right. It's changing a little bit. So my favorite side hustle. Yes, tell me. Which I miss desperately. Um, in Los Angeles, I was a party princess. Uh. So... <laughs> And especially in L.A., here I know they have it, but it's in L.A. it's a staple. I mean, every birthday party has it. A friend of mine who I've had on the podcast has a web series called Work, and it, it's all about like all these crazy side hustles, and one of the episodes what, really? was them being party princesses. I wrote a pilot about it. I, I mean, it's so much material, It's and it's I miss it desperately. I remember, <laughs> I really, really do, it was, I mean, the car I got when I moved to L.A., like right away was a white Scion, you know those little boxy cars, uh-huh. and my friends called it the Bam Bam Mobile. <laughs> and so I'd drive around LA dressed as a princess in my Bam Bam Mobile. And LA is—it's—I mean, what's amazing about it is it's one of the most diverse 
places, but you wouldn't know it because it's car culture. So everything is right. very segregated. I mean, when people are like, that's so LA, I'm like, which part? You Right. <laughs> you mean the, the LA that you see on TV is literally like five blocks, you know? Um, but as a princess, you have a universal passport because <laughs> everywhere speaks Disney. So I got to go. I mean, it's probably one of the best jobs I had, especially in LA to keep me connected to people. I got to go see, I mean, homes all the way in like the richest, fanciest places. I went to homes, I, I mean, places that I didn't even know. I would go to parties where there was like authentic sushi because it was just, and everyone's speaking Japanese. Like I would go to places where. Yeah, and you're being invited Compton. Into I mean, places that would be theoretically really, really dangerous. And I felt completely safe. And I knew if I wasn't in my princess outfit, I wouldn't be. Hmm. It was just, I, I mean, I remember I would get away with you murder. You were welcome everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> literally. So it was, that was a really wonderful uh, job. And now I teach, now my primary job is I teach after school. So I teach uh, theater. So I'm getting to do nice what I love. But I've done. At like public schools? Or? Mm-hmm. So I teach after school, public schools. I teach also with. Irondale so we have sort of a steam program Mm -hmm. so we get to go into schools that are and we get grants to go into schools that wouldn't normally have a program like ours so that's just I mean that really and I'm at a place now where it's just sad to think about when I when I get in that headspace and I still do it you know where I get in the headspace of like the shoulds and what it should be and there's this amazing opportunity there's this amazing thing in front of me and I'm just can't I can't take it in because I'm obsessing about what it means or this story about what it says about me that I'm not this way or I haven't done this right when you're changing some child's day and they're gonna change me and they're gonna give me the answers to life because they always do (laughs) you know they're gonna spew some wisdom and no it's it's dangerous to accept the societal definition of success yeah it's and I think that's maybe part of like what's so revolutionary about what's happening now we're seeing definitions start to topple and it doesn't just mean it's like what does it mean for us as a whole what does it also mean for us as individuals you know because how does the patriarchy live inside of us you know that whole thing of and that doesn't need to I be can't the way. do this because of this I yeah. mean I just have to get quiet and listen to how it exists like all the ways that I've been just personally just because I maybe I didn't have an experience where I was held back from a job per se, I probably already held myself back from it. Probably, you know. Yeah, it's so ingrained. And these definite, and it's so exciting that we that that that's starting to happen. That, Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, that's great that you're getting to teach a lot now. And tell me about wait before we move on to the final questions because we've been here for like an hour. <laughs> um, you said that you did some sort of like. St- getting advice stories and advice from the elderly and then I also yeah so I work as a I guess it's journalism okay (laughs) I do I write stories for this amazing it's like a positive newspaper called Nectar News it's an online publication but we do a series called Sage Advice where I get to go interview and film people who've had uh, careers and they're usually over their 50s and they just have amazing things to say so that's profound I mean that was like another amazing opportunity that I I probably would have said no to if I had if I had been in a place of if I take this it means I used to think I think that was that's something else I discovered about myself I would often 
again, control. If I say no to these things, then like the universe will have to give me what I want because <laughs> the universe isn't going to let me down because, you know, it was like this temper tantrum. And <laughs> it's funny to think about, but I've just opened up so much more. And then everything else falls into place, of course. Okay. So I know we've talked about a lot of these things, but if you are having a day where you're really uninspired or down or going to the dark side, what are some concrete things that you reach for again and again, like a book or music you listen to or a place you go? I have to reach out. I mean, I have to pick up the phone. There's people that came to, you know, I had faces that came to mind when, when you asked me that. So that was my first instinct was, again, those people who I know I've had my hand out for and, and they'll have their hand out for me. And I get quiet. I do a lot of, I will just take the things off. It's just like the shutting down the electric things around me and getting really quiet and simply walking and being and listening and feeling it. I think that's just the number one because nothing's more inspiring than when I start to really investigate what I'm feeling. If I start to think about that I'm not inspired or I don't feel this or, you know, I can go in that mental spin. And even as I say that, I can feel it at the top of my head Mm -hmm. versus like the trickling and the dropping down of like where the real inspiration comes from, which is a full body experience. It's like a shitty orgasm versus like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just like a really full throttle one when you're present. (laughs) Um, So when I can remember that, it's about breathing and letting the digestive stuff and just like hands up surrender I'll do that or or and then sometimes it's just about taking the action for me it's whatever my place of recovery is and like either going to a meeting or going to see someone face to face or like talk to talk to people Mm -hmm. that's what's so great about New York it's just get out of myself because sometimes sometimes the answer is inside and sometimes it's like get out of myself and remember I'm not alone and also that sometimes there are people that need me. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's the best way to snap out, you know, to just help someone. And then I'm like, oh, I feel better. <laughs> Take the spotlight off of yeah. yourself. It's not all about me. Yeah. Um, and then the last question is, have you seen anything recently that you want to recommend? Yes. Of any art form? <gasps> I mean, <laughs> I unless you've interviewed someone, I mean, I'm sure you get this a lot, but um, I saw People, Places, Things. Oh, I have not seen it. It's it was I, I did actually. It I was think one I did of those things where recently. everyone. I mean, I had a friend who saw it. And everyone was like, "It's the best thing." I'm like, "Shame, yeah, whatever." And also because like you know, just with and I saw it with my mom and my boyfriend. I remember my mom does this thing when we see theater together. She's gonna kill me for saying this. <laughs> Which, like, watch me have reactions. But it was very intense because it was, like, a lot of, you know, it's about addictions, about lots of things. But it's weird. Like, but it didn't matter because you're also sitting, they have this stage in the middle, so you're, there's an audience is across from you, and you're watching the audience right. also. That's always interesting. But Denise Gao, I think is how you say it. Um, I mean, she was drop-dead phenomenal, and... It, it was a gift. It was mm. just a gift of a show and a performance. Is it still running? Do you know? 
I think it's at St. Anne's. I think they extended it. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I remember someone telling me about London and, and then being like, no. And it lived up to everything. Okay. But it's a gift. You should go, yes. I And I don't think I've seen anything else that I would, not like that. Pop took that everything. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Rivka, thank you so much. Thank you. This is so great. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of the Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.